Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church! Hi everybody, my name is Taylor Brennan, and I'm pretty new to the church, but I'm excited to be here. And I have the honor this morning of reading from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4. through 4. So if you'll follow along with me. We're reading out of the ESV version, and it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was of the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Christ Jesus. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Thank you. Thank you, Taylor, for reading that. Give it up for Taylor. It's awesome. Real quick, before we get started, I know that many of you all have been praying and looking at the uh, events that's going on in the world with Ukraine, and many people have reached out and see how you can help. Uh, one of the things that we're involved here at Freedom Church, we're involved in an affiliation of churches that, man, go to almost every, we're, uh, the Assemblies of God, which is actually, we're in more uh, nations than the United Nations, as missionaries and caring for people, and there's several ways that you can get involved. One of our friends who's a missionary out there says, one of the things that they're doing is they're getting helmets and they're getting vests for medical workers that are going to go out there. So if you want to help with that, a helmet and a vest is about $750 to kind of get people the safety that they need to go into the place to care for them. Also, we're going to be partnering with Convoy of Hope. So if you want to give to Ukraine at all, if you want to help with the, uh, how we're partnering with them, just go to the local, go to the missions tab there at Freedom Church, give to missions, and all the money that's going to missions this week will go to Ukraine and helping the people of Ukraine. Let's pray right now for the people of Ukraine, how God is going getting ready to just uh, use his church to be mobilized. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. And even in the midst of darkness and despair, the church is moving forward. I thank you for Convoy of Hope, who's bringing supplies and food in those situations. I also thank you for the medical workers who are risking their lives, and they just need some safety, Lord, of helmets and medical vests to get down there. Help us to be an answer to those prayers. In the name of Jesus, amen. This morning, I want to start out the message by playing a game called Believe It or Not. Turn to your neighbor and tell him Believe It or Not. Tell him Believe It or Not. Real, so real quick, this is an interactive game, and it's a very, very easy game. To start this game, I need everybody to stand to your feet. So everybody stand to your feet right there. Come on, on your feet. And I'm, okay. So this is, this, we're going to see who's really smart, who has a high IQ. Raise your hand if you have a high IQ. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be put to the test. You, man, we're going to find out. We're going to see who is really smart this morning. And this is how we're going to do. I'm going to make a statement. And if you believe it's true, I want you to stay standing. And if you say it's not true, it's false, I want you to sit down. And we're going to see if anybody can get 100% on this believe it or not test I have. So here is the first statement. We only use 10% of our brains. If it's true, and you know what to do, you stay standing. If it's false, sit down. Okay. We only use 10% of our... Is the, is the statement true or false? Okay. 
We met, so the majority of the church thinks it's true. The answer, it's false. Oh, we got a couple. Of, I know it's tempting to believe that you can unlock 90% of your brain and that you'll become a genius or the next Marvel Avenger, right? But unfortunately, sorry guys to give you this information. According to scientific evidence in the Encyclopedia Britannica, we are constantly using 100% of our brain. So I saw a lot of people sit down a little bit later, but we're not going to. So here's the next question. Elephants can hear with their feet. True or false? So okay. Elephants can hear with their feet. Okay. Is it true or is it false? You're thinking about it? And here's, it's true. What? I know. This is called seismic communication. And according to Caitlin O'Connell from Stanford, she discovered this when she was studying how elephants communicate. She said elephants uh, emit low-frequency information that travels dozens uh, that travels dozens of miles underground they have all these sensory in their feet that they can actually hear with their feet so here's the next statement man this is an urban legend shaving or could it be true shaving causes your hair to grow back thicker true or false shaving causes your hair to grow back thicker come on uh, you know here it is it's it's actually false Hey, hey let, let me, let me, though it feels you're dealing with short, stubby hair after shaving, this is, there's actually no scientific evidence that cause, that shaving causes your hair to grow back thicker. Now, here's the next one. A rat can enter your home through sewer lines, a.k.a. your toilet. True or false? Okay. Okay, man. Here it is. Everybody's worst nightmare. You sit down to take care of business, and all of a sudden something bites your booty. You know, can this actually happen? True. There's an actual report of a lady in Petersburg, Virginia, who was bit in the booty by a rat. In fact, this was such a problem in Seattle that in 2016, the Seattle Times did an article that in King County, they logged over 400 complaints of rats in toilets. And they deal with 50 to 80 rat scenarios each year. One more. You guys ready for one more? Here we go. This is the last one. Benjamin Franklin wrote an essay called Fart Proudly, our founding father. Is that true or false? Uh, okay. And here it is. It's true. Don't you love Benjamin Franklin, 1781? Man, why didn't we study that in school? I would have done really well if I would have done a book report on that. Okay, really quick. Did anybody answer them all correctly? No. Oh, okay. Uh. This morning we're starting a new series in 1 John. And the Apostle John, he opens up by making this amazing statement about Jesus. It sounds like, can you believe it or not? And then he gives us proof as to why we can believe the statement that he's making up. And throughout this letter, 1 John, what he's going to do is he's going to separate facts from fiction. In this letter, John is going to deal with challenging subjects, how we can know for sure that we're truly a Christian. How can he know? 
He's going to answer questions and how can he know for sure that you're saved and that you're going to heaven? He's going to take care of all that doubt. And he's going to tell us how we can know for sure how truly our prayers are answered. The letter of 1 John was written about 95 A.D. Almost all scholars believe it was the last written letter in the entire New Testament. And when John writes it, he's the only living apostle. He's an elderly man. He's seen every one of the other apostles die. He's been to all their funerals. He's the highest spiritual authority in the world. Think about the authority. His authority is greater than that of Pope and like the late Billy Graham all at the same time. And scholars believe he's about 100 or so years old. And what church history tells us that imagine if you're the last person to see Jesus, the last apostle alive, he would go to churches and he would travel and they would pack it in. And people would want to hear, G they, hear John talk about Jesus. And what they would say, the early church scholars say that they would bring him in on a chair. He was very feeble and very weak and they would sit him down and he would begin to talk to the church and he would say, dear little children, love one another. And everybody would weep and cry and then he would leave and he would be gone. Talk about a drop the mic moment. John was a powerful, powerful figure in history. And John brings a very straightforward message to us. In 1 John, there's no introductory statements. There's no identification to the author. There's no greetings. One of the ways that we know that John wrote this letter is because of two things. Because of the sources and style. All the early church fathers uh, tell us that it's John's writing. Polycarp, Irenaeus, uh, Clement, Origen. All these people tell us, it's, the sources tell us it's John's writing. Also, the style of his writing. If you've ever taken a Greek class, this is the first letter they'll have you read because it's a really easy letter to read in Greek. Plus, it has about 10 statements that are exactly identical of the Gospel of John. So the sources and style tell us this is John's letter. But it's unlike all the other letters of the apostle, he jumps immediately into the issue. He doesn't even give us an introductory. And John has about five points he makes over and over in no particular order. If this was Apostle Paul writing the letter, it would be very orderly and logical. Point one, sub-point, sub-point, point two, sub-point, 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 point three, and on and on. But John, he's all over the map. He's point one, point two, point four, back to point two. First, now let me go back to point three. Now more about point one. It's just a jumble of points in his letter, which makes it a little difficult to preach, but it's a lot of powerful, powerful truths. So what I'm going to do over the next five weeks is I'm going to take the major themes of the book of First John heading up to Easter, and I believe it's going to challenge us and change us, and it's going to do some big things for our faith. But before we get into this letter, I want to tell you a little bit about the Apostle John, for those of you who don't know. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was, his inner, he was in the inner circle with Peter and James. He saw Jesus in ways that very few people did. He spent three years with Jesus. He heard all his teachings, saw every one of his miracles. And he was the only apostle that didn't abandon Jesus in his weakest, most vulnerable moment at the cross. In one of the most touching scenes in all of the scripture, a very emotional moment. I know you probably read, Jesus is about to die and he's thinking about his mama. And he looks at John and he says, John, this is your mom. Take care of her. He's thinking about his mom and the person that he entrusts with the care of the mom that the Lord has given him is John. Nothing tells us how much trust that he is to Jesus. Nothing tells us more about the relationship that Jesus had with John. This is Jesus' best and most trusted friend. He even calls himself the beloved of how much Jesus loved him. 
So if anyone has the authority to write about Jesus, it's John. And the way he opens his letter, we really can't see in English, in your English translation. The first four verses that Taylor read to us are a run-on sentence in the Greek language. It's like this word vomit. It's like this. John is getting ready to write about Jesus, and he's like, ADD, he can't contain himself. He's just writing all this stuff, and it just starts coming out. And he's just putting out all this depth, density of who God is. So as we unpack that, let's pray, and let's ask God to speak to us. And let's just pray this. Jesus, let me see you more clearly. Just say this. Put, Put your hand in your eyes. Lord, open my eyes to see you more clearly. Put your hand on your heart. Lord, open my heart to experience you more deeply. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. First John 1, 1, as Taylor read, that which was from, underline that, the beginning. Very important point. Which we have, this is important, we have heard, we have seen, and we have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. We have seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim it to you. This is John is saying. John is saying, I've had a full sensory experience with Jesus. This is something I, I, I've seen him with my eyes. I've heard him with my ears. I've touched him with my hands. I ate dinner with him. I took care of his mom. I've heard all the childhood stories. I've heard all his teachings let me tell you i know jesus this is real he's pointing to the evidence of this and with that statement john is directly addressing two heresies that were infiltrating the church of that day and their view of jesus the heresies were called docetism and gnosticism they taught that jesus didn't come in the flesh They taught that Jesus only appeared to have a body, but he didn't have a body, that he was a spirit. But we know that God became a man to conquer sin. So one of the things that you got to realize, this is about six decades removed from when Jesus walked this earth. So Jesus, John is writing this to clear the air, to really give us a clear picture of who Jesus really was. Because in that culture, people were trying to redefine Jesus, much like today. People always try to redefine who Jesus is. People ask me all the time, don't all religions basically say the same thing? Aren't they all the same? Don't they teach the same thing? Not about Jesus. Jehovah Witness say that he was an archangel and a created being that became a man. Mormonism teaches that Jesus was not God, but only a man that became one of many gods, and he was the half-brother of Lucifer. Buddhism teaches that Jesus was not a God, but rather an enlightened man like Buddha. Islam teaches that Jesus was merely a man, a prophet who was inferior to Muhammad. But John says, guys, 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 I know there's a lot of things. I know a lot of people are saying a whole lot of things about Jesus. But let me tell you, I know this Jesus. I've touched him. I've seen him. I've had a personal experience with him. And let me tell you something about him. He was from the beginning. eternal see we don't get the option to redefine jesus in any way we want his statements and his followers and the things that he said said about him don't allow us to do that and here's the truth that john is framing he's giving this incredible statement jesus is the eternal god notice for those of you that have been reading your bible for a while first john 1 1 sounds a lot like genesis 1 1 in the beginning god 
in the beginning, Jesus. Because John is making this conscious connection between them. And what he's doing, he's taking us all the way back to eternity to tell us that Jesus didn't begin in a manger, but he was always the pre-existent God. There was never a time that he was not. There will never be a time when he will not be. Jesus was and is and is to come. He's the eternal God who became a man. And when we think about God being eternal, most of us picture this old God with this gray beard and this gray hair, like Charlton Heston or something like that. Being eternal doesn't mean that God is old. You know what it means? That he's forever young. So when you think of God, don't think like Clint Eastwood. Think more Tom Holland. I read up something about G.K. Chesterton that he said that helped me wrap my mind around God being eternal. He said this, we sin, we grow old, we get tired. God doesn't sin. God doesn't grow old. God doesn't get tired. He's eternally the same. And John opens up with this bold statement. He tells them, he's from the beginning, that Jesus is the eternal God. And then he gives proof to back up his radical statement. Look at the proof. He said, I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. And look at verse 2. It says, I testify to it. And I proclaim it to you. See, one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, I'm a follower of Jesus is because of the testimony of John and the other apostles. It's one of the reasons I believe in Jesus with all my heart. You can't fool those who are really close to you. They know the real you. And all the apostles believed that Jesus was God, so much so that they signed that belief with their own blood. History tells us they were all martyred and killed for testifying and proclaiming that Jesus was the eternal God. And Tertullian, the early church father, recorded that John, who was not martyred, the only one that wasn't martyred, was boiled alive for his faith in Jesus. And when he wouldn't die, they sent him to be exiled to live his remaining days in Patmos. See, the gospel isn't a lie or a scheme that was made up by a bunch of men. If they, if this was a lie... Why would these men die for a lie? The apostles would not crack no matter what happened. I know many of you guys won't believe this, but in junior high, I was a constant troublemaker. I spent my time in lunch and detention and in ISS in school suspension. You guys remember those? Spend some time in that. Remember one time, me and my friends blew up a water balloon or maybe something that resembled a water balloon, if you know what I'm saying, and we put it under my teacher's chair. She came into a class, and she sat on it, and everybody started laughing as it busted in front of her. She immediately turns to me and my two friends, Alex and Adam. Benito, Alex, Adam, come with me. You're going to the principal's office. She had a hunch that it was us. Why? Maybe because we were the only three boys in an eighth-grade class of home ec trying to impress the girls. So she marched us into the principal's office. And we made a pack. We're not going to say. We're not going to make because we're, where I grew up, I grew up in the hood. Snitches get stitches, you know. We're not going to rat each other out. So the principal called us in one at a time to extract information. And he called me into my story. And when I grew up, this is when you called in or something, it's, it's one of the rules of the streets. Deny, 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 deny. Did you do it? No, 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 no. Man, get in my face. No, no, no. Boom. See you. I'm hard, bro. Called my friend Adam in. Deny, 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 deny. 
But I was worried about my friend Alex. Alex is a little bit of a mama's boy. And he could crack under pressure. And Mr. Martinez, the principal at that time, was a rough guy that would get in your face. He called Alex in. Guess what happened? Alex squealed like a weasel. Alex told him everything that we did, gave him the plan. He went off scot-free, and I spent the next three days in in in-school suspension for the prank that I pulled on my teacher, Mrs. Duran. I'm sorry for that. If you're listening, forgive me still. My point is this. Truth usually comes out when many people are involved or threatened, and there's some type of scheme. But the apostles all held to the same story, and they died for their belief that Jesus was the eternal God who rose from the dead. People say, Benito, people throughout history have died for a good cause. This is something that always happens. But here's the huge difference. Here's the mind-blowing reality. Here's the kicker. It's not that they died for a good cause. Their good cause died. Let me unpack that for you. Every Jew during Jesus' time believed in a Messiah. But there was confusion about the Messiah, that they would read the prophets and they would, they would read about this suffering Messiah. Then a few verses later, they would read about a reigning, ruling, political Messiah. So the Jews in Jesus' time believed that there would be two different Messiahs. First, a suffering Messiah and then a reigning, political Messiah. Little did they know it would be one Messiah coming twice. First is a suffering Messiah, then a ruling, reigning, political Messiah. So when Jesus first came on the scene, the disciples thought, here's the Messiah. Here's, my dra- here's the gravy queen. Here's my ticket to prestige, to prominence, to position, to power. They thought they were going to rule with Jesus. They thought they were going to overfl- overtake the Roman Empire. They- that's why they were so despondent when- and scattered when Jesus died. Because the cause of their life, the cause of them ruling and reigning for prominence and p- prestige died when Jesus died. But something happened. That took these men from hiding into the streets to preaching the mess of Jesus under such difficult opposition that eventually they were killed. What happened? It was a resurrected Jesus. They had seen him. And I, I would submit to this. They had nothing to gain in a worldly sense. There was no angle for this belief. Actually, they would be ostracized by the Roman government. They would be ostracized from the Jewish community. This decision to preach Jesus had no worldly advancement from them. Yet every single one of the apostles lived their life unto death and signed with their own blood. And there's a testimony in history that they believe that Jesus is the eternal God. And that is one of the reasons, probably one of the biggest reasons I believe in Jesus Christ. Another testimony of the life of Jesus is this, that he's the eternal God. It's the testimony of the life of Jesus himself. It's a historical fact that Jesus walked this earth. It's not just the apostles who recorded the influence of Jesus, but non-Christian historians who were hostile towards Christianity People like Josephus, Tacitus, Suetonius, Pliny the Younger, they all record the impact of the life of a man named Jesus in the first century. And think about that impact with me. Here's a man who never traveled more than 200 miles from his hometown. He never held a political office. He never wrote a book. He never went to college. He never commanded an army. He wasn't from a wealthy family. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He grew up a carpenter in obscurity for 30 years. And in just three years of preaching and teaching, he changed the world. There have been more songs and messages and discussions had about Jesus than anybody in history. 
Hospitals, schools, orphanages have been built in his name. Today, billions of people all over the world will gather in his name. In the midst of war, the followers of Jesus are still putting their lives on the line to live like Jesus. Let me tell you, there's something about the life of Jesus that is so different than anything else. No one has influenced history more than Jesus. Time magazine in 1999 says that Jesus was not just the man of the year or the man of the century, but the man of the millennium. Jesus split time in half. B.C., before Christ. A.D., Anio Domini, the year of the Lord. Then John points to another proof that Jesus is the eternal God in verse 1. He says this. It's powerful. He says, he is the word of life. He says, if you want to believe in Jesus, he says, look at the testimony of the Bible. The Word of God. Six, a book that was written over 1,600 years. 66 different books. 40 to 44 different authors. Three different languages. Three different continents. Africa, Europe, Asia. And here's the story. It's all about Jesus. The theme is always the same. It's this cohesive message that the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. But if you read the story in its context, it tells us the story of Jesus. And this is what I always challenge people. I challenge you to get uh, even 10 scholars from three different nations and have them write about the complexities of life and everything and see what type of jumbled mess that is. But just the very fact that the Bible tells us about Jesus over and over and over again shows us that it's a divine book and it points to the power of our Savior. And let me tell you one of the challenges that people are having right now with the Bible is so many Christians, even myself, we have a hard time even reading the Bible and looking at the Old Testament because we don't read it through the lens of Jesus. See, we, we, we teach like the story of Jonah all by itself, the story of Noah and the ark, and all these fascinating stories that seem to have nothing to do. Well, what are these sensational stories out there? Let me tell you, every one of these stories point to the greater story. Every one of the story points to Jesus. Because, see, Jesus is the true and better Adam. But Jesus passed the test in the garden. And when the first Adam, our first father, took the tree and disobeyed by taking from a living tree Jesus the second Adam came in our place and in the garden he said Lord I don't want to do what I want I want to do what you want and as he went on a dead tree he brought life to us all Jesus is the true and better able who though he was innocently slain by his older brother his blood cried out that we're guilty but the blood of Jesus cries out that we are innocent and there is forgiveness Jesus is the true and better Noah who made a way in the midst of judgment, who by faith created an escape route. There was only one way in, and the escape route was the cross. Over the judgment of God, there was one way through the cross as Noah pointed to Jesus. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and the familiar to go establish God's people. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mountain, but was sacrificed truly for us all. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who sits at the right hand, ready to forgive those who betrayed and sold him into slavery. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord, who meditates a new and better covenant. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory. A lot of times we read the story of David and we see ourselves as David. No, we're not David. Man, we can't preach that story through David. Guess what? We're Israel. 
Man, guess what happened? Jesus is the son of David who created and defeated the giant. And we're Israel. We did nothing. But because our David won the battle, we can walk in the victory of the son of David. Jesus is the true and better Esther who just didn't risk losing her earthly palace but lost his heavenly one. He didn't just risk losing his life. He gave his life. He's the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb. He is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the lamb, the light, the bread. The Bible is the story of Jesus. In Genesis, paradise was lost. In Revelation, paradise is regained. But the manifestation of the Bible is the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what John is telling us here. When you look at the Bible, it's the story of Jesus. And then John says in verse 1, that he's the word of life that was manifest through the Bible. Some of you are thinking, man, Pastor B, that's awesome for John to write about those things, but, but I need more. Like, like, if I would have experienced Jesus like John did, if I would have touched him with my hands, if I would have seen his miracles for myself, I would believe too. My faith would be strong. But I didn't get the luxury to experience Jesus like that. You ever thought about that? If I was an apostle, I could have way more faith. John addresses that in verse 3. Look what he says. That which we have seen and heard, and we proclaim also to you. This is awesome. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. So that you too. What? So that you too might have fellowship with us. The Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia. It means a shared experience. What John is saying is, he's, I'm writing these things to you so that you can, you know, I've touched him, I've seen him, I've felt him, I've walked with him, I've had this full sensory experience with Jesus. And guess what happens? You too can have this experience. You too. John is saying yes. There's an informational knowledge of Jesus, but there's also an experiential knowledge of Jesus. Would you agree? Knowing something cognitively and experiencing something in reality are two different things. When you walked in this morning, there was a Snickers bar in your chair. How many of you guys got that Snickers bar? Would you take it out? Let's have a confession time. Who's already ate theirs? Anybody ate theirs? Okay. On yours, it should say sinners, not Snickers. Right there, right? But here's what I want you to do. Would you describe to me the Snickers bar? Describe to me. What is it? What is it? What is it? Go, go, go and yell it out. Describe to me the Snickers bar. Sweet. Chocolate. Okay. This is a little more things. Nutty. Okay. Chewy on the inside with caramel, peanuts on top of it, covered with chocolate. Yeah. Now would you open it up with me? If you're able, if you don't have peanut allergies and chocolate allergies, take a bite. Now do me a favor. As you taste it, would you say this? Tasting a Snickers bar is fundamentally different than having it described to you. That's John's point here. Experiencing Jesus is way different than just hearing about Jesus. And what John is saying, I'm the only living apostle left, and I've seen him, and I've touched him, 
And I've heard of him. But you can too. That's what he says. But you can too. See, let me tell you about Christianity. It's a taste and see religion. So the psalmist says, come taste and see that the Lord is good. And yes, following Jesus is more than an experience. There's evidence and there's facts. But it's never less than an experience. You need to have an experience with the living God. You might ask, how are we going to have an experience with Jesus today? We can't see his miracles. We couldn't touch him like John did. John answers that question in verse 2. The Jesus that John touched, the miracles that John observed were a manifestation of the life of God. The Greek word for life is the word zoe. It means supernatural life given by God. A life that can, we can share in. Verse 2 says that life was made manifest. It was manifested to us. And here's the last testimony how we can know that Jesus is the eternal God. It's the testimony of a life-changing experience. See, the miracles that Jesus did were not an end to themselves. The miracles are always a pointer. The scriptures always, what do they call them? Signs and wonders. There's a reason they call them signs. Because they pointed beyond themselves to something greater. A greater reality. See, Jesus did not prove that he was the son of God by levitating over Jerusalem. He did not freeze himself in a block like David Blaine in six months pop out and say, wow, listen to me. All of Jesus' miracles had a point. They were signs to a greater reality. In John chapter 6. Let me, let, me, let me show you this. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus multiplied some bread and fish. He fed 5,000 people. And Jesus explains the point of that miracle. is so Not that he could do some magic with bread and fish and open up his own Long John Silvers. No. The reason he did that is so I'm the bread of life. And those who are spiritually starving can come to him and they can find the deepest part of their soul satisfied. Here's the question. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever had an experience with God that's so overwhelmed you that it's more satisfying than anything, any bread this world can give you? You might have said, you might have not seen Jesus feed the 5,000, but you've come and you've experienced Jesus and you've had a five-course meal where you are satisfied. That's something you can touch, taste, and feel. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a lady who had all these secrets of the past and indiscretions of what she's done. He knew every single thing about her. Yet, he loves her anyways. Have you ever had an experience like that? Where the Holy Spirit reveals your heart and the wickedness. And despite that fact that you're jacked up and you're not perfect, you feel the love of Jesus that still pursues you. And you have this deep sense of hope and acceptance. That's what John 4 is pointing to. That when we're broken and we know that we don't have the right to stand before God, that the love of God can say, we're accepted. And Lord, you see my darkest shame. You've seen my worst moments and you still love me. That's something you can touch, taste, and feel. In Mark 4, Jesus is out on the sea with his disciples and a terrible storm comes raging around him. They think they're going to die. And Jesus stands up and says, peace, be still. The storm stops. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe not exactly like that, but something in your life where you prayed and Jesus stood up and he spoke to your storm or it stopped. Or maybe even better, maybe the storm did stop, but he spoke, peace, be still to you. A peace that passes all understanding. Here's the question about your faith that John is asking. Are you having these experiences with God? 
That's how you know you're truly a follower of Jesus. That you have this koinonia, and he goes on to say, with the Father and with the Son. A shared experience. Because as you read the Bible, as you walk with Jesus, you'll come to a point where it says that you're true. I remember an interview with one of my heroes in the faith, Dr. Tim Keller. He had been faced with terminal cancer. And he'd been struggling with cancer. And they asked him, Dr. Keller, have you doubted your faith during this season? Has it stretched you? And you know what he said? Oh, my faith has just gotten stronger. What this has shown me is the elevator of my faith has gotten deeper and deeper and deeper. And I feel even more strongly, more assured of the love of God and the grace of God and the truth of God. That's what happens when you really follow Jesus. When difficulties come, when challenges come, God is with you. Christianity is a faith where you interact with an actual God who calls you to have fellowship with him. I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. My question to you, are you experiencing Jesus like that? Is he real to you? Do you know him? You can. He says, you too can touch, can taste, can see, can know that Jesus is the eternal God. How many say, Benito, I want more of an experience with Jesus like that. Just raise your hand right there where you're at. Say, say, Jesus, I, I want this experience. Open my eyes to see you. Open my heart to receive you, Lord. Jesus, I want to walk with you. I don't want to just read pages. I don't want to read stories, Jesus. I want my own personal experience with you, mighty one of Israel. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.